We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Fight Night Apex. Is that what we're calling these, Cody Saftik? You know, well, we've been struggling for names for a while, Paul. We've been going through... UFC Jacksonville, Jacksonville 2, mm-hmm. Jacksonville 3, mm-hmm. now we're Apex. I don't know. The name is all over the place. I mean, yeah, we're, it's going to just wait until we get to Fight Island. It'll be like UFC Fight Island 27. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, obviously a little week off there, but we're getting back into the swing, swing of things. We got this card this week. This is kind of the first card where you're looking at it and you're like, okay, yeah, this is a quarantine card. But uh, there's definitely some spots along the way. We'll uh, we'll go through it all. Good news for everybody who listens to us for DraftKings advice. Uh, I got eliminated by six points uh, thanks to that Edson Barbosa versus Dan Ige decision. Still think I won, but I'm not going to, you know, complain too too much on twitter you win some you lose some i had some decisions i didn't think i won i that was the decision i thought i won that's just the mma game you do you do this enough over time you're gonna have your ups and your downs um i wanted to special wish a happy birthday to pd parlays at pete manzel i mean he was asking us when the show was gonna drop i said thursday morning he said wow on my birthday so i said i would make note of that uh happy birthday yeah. pd 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 parlays Happy birthday to you. Um, you have any, any thoughts before we get into this there, Cody, or should we just jump right in? I just want to clarify to the viewers that normally Paul and I shoot, you know, usually around noon, usually around 1, 2 o'clock. Those are work hours. <laughs> We're shooting right now at 9.45. Mm-hmm. I've been drinking, right? I played 18 <laughs> today with my buddy Kev. I kicked his fucking ace. I'm feeling good. I've been drinking. Uh, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. I'm going to shoot it to you straight. And then in the morning, it's like, I, I'm going to say, geez, I wish I would have jumped into a little bit more of the analytics. But uh, it is what it is, brother. So let's roll through it, and we'll, we'll, we'll get her done. 
that's 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 tremendous news to be perfectly honest you're gonna carry you're gonna carry the show here because it's uh yeah it's 9 30 and i'm i'm unfortunately i'm i'm i have to someone has to take care of all this like machinery and stuff so um yeah i'm i'm stone cold sober it's it's horrible. I'm actually pretty jealous. So let's get into this. Maybe I can have some drinks after we're all, all said and done with this. We got Tyron Woodley taking on Gilbert Dorino Burns. Tyron Woodley, minus 175 favorite. Burns, plus 155. What do you think about this fight, Cody? Okay, so again, shooting it to you straight. Let's go over my beef with Tyron Woodley. It's not that he's the most unpopular UFC champion of all time. It has nothing to do with... Any of that. It's a literally, you run through the fight, and it's bullshit, man. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. I'm going to go back to the Kelvin Gastelum fight. Kelvin Gastelum misses weight by 10 fucking pounds and spends a night in hospital due to a poor weight cut. He, he, he greased by a split decision with Kelvin Gastelum. Why that fight's still relevant to me is that he threw absolutely no volume in it. Mm-hmm. That was the start of a streak of he either knocked you the fuck out really fast or he throws absolute no volume. So despite the fact that Gastelum is in the hospital the night before the fight, Woodley lands 27 significant strikes through three rounds and wins a split decision. It's garbage. That split decision got him a title shot because Dana made some bullshit promise, and he one-punches Robbie. Again, goes back to that power. He does have power. We can't, we can't look away from this guy's genetic fucking gifts, man. Mm-hmm. He's a freak athlete. Yep. He moves tremendously well. The problem is, is that he has very high ring IQ, right? And that gets him a little bit in trouble because he's so smart in there, he, he's not looking to fight. It's like a bare-knuckle boxing match. He's looking to pick his punches way too perfect, and they just don't land. So, yeah, he fucking bops on Robbie. The first Stephen Thompson fight, it's 3-2 Thompson. Woodley drops him and gets a 10-8, mm-hmm. but it's 3-2 Thompson. Thompson would have fucking otherwise beaten him had he not got dropped. Yep. Whatever. Second Thompson fight is perhaps the worst title fight in UFC history. I don't even know if it's you have worse to say than perhaps. Boxer and Kevin Randall in. Dude, it, and, and I thought Thompson won. If we're being 100% honest, like, honest here, I thought Thompson won. But, you know, you got to beat the champ to be the champ, and he certainly did not beat the champ. So Woodley retained. The Damian Maya fight is also in the conversation for top five worst fucking UFC title fights you have ever seen. Again, it goes back. It goes right back to that Kelvin Gaslam fight. He just doesn't let his hands go. And and to Bop, the guy's a great wrestler. He's so athletic. He's so fast. He's got a great entry. He's got a great double leg, and he's very strong. He could muscle you to the ground, but he's got like this self doubt in his own cardio that he will not push the pace. And as a result, he does not shoot takedowns. The guy hardly wrestles at all. No. So anyway, second second Thompson fight sucks balls. Maya fight sucks balls. Both those fights he wins, but they're very bad. Now, the Till fight is unbelievably misleading because Darren Till, to get to that fight, had beaten Stephen Thompson, and it was a bullshit fight, whatever. Mm-hmm. But he, he weighed in like 174.9. Like, he was too big to make welterweight. And when he made the welterweight limit, championship limit, he came in like 169. He botched that weight cut, and he was fucked. And this is the only time in UFC history have you ever seen a fight go almost two rounds because it was like late in the second round that that Woodley put him away. Darren Till landed zero strikes. Because he was sick from the weight cut, because he had trouble making weight, he just didn't do anything. He didn't throw his hands. He didn't throw kicks. He didn't push any type of pace. So on paper, it looks like, oh, fuck, Woodley killed this guy. He went in there. He dropped him. He submitted him. Showed off his ground game. Showed off that big power. 
but it was just a classic Woodley performance. Just Darren Till happened to play into it. And then, and then it comes down to the Usman's fight. And you'll remember this one, right? It Usman's like plus 165. Mm-hmm. And I am so unbelievably on Kamaru Usman that it's like, how in the world is Kamaru Usman a 165 dog to Tyron Woodley? Because I, I explain all the same shit I just explained to you. Like, I'm not sold on Woodley at all. This doesn't do enough. And Usman's a guy that completely just pushes the pace and pushes the pace. He's going to strike him. He'll wrestle him if he needs to. And the result is classic. And now you're getting the same price. And, and mind you, Woodley is fucking leech and bounds better than Gilbert Burns. But again, it's like it's another case of people just, I don't know. Tyron Woodley's a former champion. He's on TMZ. He's a great athlete. He's got one punch power. You just you buy into it. But like the results are the results. And even though he's getting wins on paper, you watch the fights and they're not impressive. So what mm-hmm. I decided to do is I decided to the current line's 165 burns, right? Here's a list of guys that I would bet at 165 <laughs> over Tyron Woodley. Obviously Uzman, which I hit the fucking last time. Yeah. I would bet Colby Covington at 165 over to him. I would bet George Mosvidal at 165 over him. I would 110% guarantee that Leon Edwards at 100%, at 100% 165 Leon Edwards, no doubt about it. And you know what? This might sound disrespectful, but I would have an extra look. But Michael Chiesa, Vincente Luque, Santiago Ponzinibbio, and especially Jeff Neal, I would all consider them at oh, over time. Oh, you can you can taste you can just I can just smell I can smell those takes off of you right now. That was that was. Uh, I don't I'm know. I think you, you're stretching. You're stretching with a couple of those guys. I think. You know what? You know he what? hasn't Here's looked good. I'm telling you, I'm not stretching, right? Because he wouldn't take those guys down because he's not using his wrestling at all. Even if he did take them down, he doesn't have some legendary ground and pound, and he's not some legendary submission artist. So all him taking you down does is fucking waste around. That mm-hmm. he's just gonna burn himself. He doesn't have great cardio. He over, he over, like he conserves way too much. Yeah. So obviously, Leon Edwards kicks his ass. But I when agree. you get back to those other guys. Maybe Michael Chiesa is a stretch. It was the Chiesa. It was Chiesa that I was just like, this guy's sick. You are sick. No, dude. Luke Luke and Ponzinibbio and and, and Jeff Neal. I don't know if Ponzinibbio... He's going to play their their stand-up too long. Too long. Okay, so as much as I just trashed the shit out of him, I'm sure it comes out disrespectful. Those are my honest thoughts. Here's the one reason... I'm going to bet Burns, 100%. But but here's the one reason I'm not like raising on Gilbert Burns here is that the two things that Burns doesn't do well is going to play in well for Usman. Or, sorry, sorry, with, with Tyron Woodley. Is that, A, yeah, is that, A, he has durability issues, like the later, and he has cardio issues. So Burns goes pedal to the metal. He goes pedal to the metal first round, first two rounds, first three rounds. He tries He tries to go at it. He tries to finish you. If he finishes you, great. If not, not so great. The, the Gunnar Nelson fight's a prime example. He fights a brilliant fight through the first two rounds, but after that, you got a real idea of like, Jesus, guy's not built to go five. He's not championship material. He's not going five rounds. You look at other notable fights in his career, same thing. Like the later the fights go, yeah, you know what? This guy maybe has a tight, tight cardio issue. Woodley, you know, he has a cardio issue, but he manages it extremely well because mm-hmm. of the ring IQ. So even if Burns comes out hot fire and puts it on Woodley for the first two rounds, it doesn't matter. Woodley doesn't have durability issues. No. He's not putting much punch output. I don't think he's a great fighter personally, but he's not getting KO'd by guys. He's not getting submitted by guys. No. The fact of the matter is, is that Burns is not going to be able to take the fucking guy down. 
And if the fight stays standing, Burns will have success through the first two rounds, but it's a five-rounder. And then that goes back to Burns' second issue. Cardio won. Second of all, it's like he does get hit clean. Mm-hmm. You can't hurt this guy. And Woodley doesn't have to throw a ton of punches. He just no. got to pick that one punch. One and and five one. rounds is built. Five rounds is built for him. So fact of the matter is, is that the sharp betters got on Woodley really hard and really strong. I'm not sure why, but they bet the shit out of him. So his price tag, even if you want to bet him, is way out of whack right now. You're almost forced into a Burns play. But instead of telling you I'm super confident in Burns because I don't like Woodley, it's like it might be a dogger pass. It's actually the definition of dogger pass. I ain't betting Woodley at 185. No chance on your life. Mm-hmm. Silver Burns 160. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could I see him winning this fight? Absolutely. If I'm leaning dog, I might as well bet dog. And I'm leaning dog here on Burns. So I'll bet him. But this is no surefire lock. We're making mad money on the dog here at plus 160. This is, this is a fight designed for Tyron Woodley. But if you believe me, you believe that Tyron Woodley is not the guy he's been made out to be. And at this point in his life, man, he's, he's, a, he's no spring chicken. He's an aging athlete. He's got a commentating job. He's got a TMZ job. He's already won a world title. He's 38 years old. And he just got absolutely pillar to post fucking whitewashed by the champion. So there's no coming back from that shit. Remember you were talking about rematch? It's like, dog, there's no fucking rematch. What are you talking about? You can fucking smoke. It ain't going to go no different the second time. So at 38 years old, it's like, ah, what, what's left for him? Mm-hmm. Whereas like Gilbert Burns fights six times a year. Like all the guy does is compete. So yeah, dog or pass. So I'm, I'm going to take Burns on this one. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. I think, uh, I think I'm more leaning towards the pass side of that. Yeah, I can't bet Woodley just because, yeah, as you were talking about, he doesn't throw enough volume. And if if he gives up the first two rounds and he kind of stands with his back against the cage, as he tends to do, and just, you know, stands there and waits for the his opponent to come in but isn't able to clip him, like, it's very frustrating betting a guy who throws, like, five punches around. I can't be on board with that. Um, I'll see how, like, the weigh-ins and stuff shake out this week. But yeah, I agree with you. It's going to be dog or pass for me. I'm not laying the chalk on Tyron Woodley. Let's move to the co-main event. I, yeah, I guess they're calling it the co-main event. We got Augusto Sakai taking on Blagoj Ivanov. Minus 115 Sakai. Ivanov minus 105. Went back and watched Augusto Sakai. All right, so I went back and watched Augusto Sakai versus uh, Andre Arlovsky. I kind of think that's that's kind of a... I know, it was, it was painful to go back and watch... Um, but it's kind of a similar matchup if I kind of if I really think about it. Except Blagoy's obviously a more durable version of Ar- Arlovsky, I guess, and a little bit, and definitely more slow and plodding. Um, but I think their their styles aren't too too far apart. I never really have a great read on Blagoy. The prices are always like kind of a pick him, and he always surprises me. I don't think I've ever really bet him to be perfectly honest. I think this is another situation where Blagoy doesn't really throw enough. Averages 53 points per fight on DraftKings. Uh, Augusto Sakai, like he did against Arlovsky, is just going to win the fight on volume. So I don't mind uh, Augusto Sakai minus 115 as a bet. What about you? Yeah, you know what? So it's basically the bookies version of a pick right? They're giving you 115 each side. Like, they're going to make their money on it. you got to pick what side you're going to be on it. And I'm leaning Sakai for sure. I lean to Sakai because of the upside on him. Is that, yeah, this is a guy that's 29 years old as a heavyweight. He's a mobile heavyweight. He seems decently athletic. There's times in his career he's weighed in at 265, been a fat fuck. Mm-hmm. But his last time out 258 looked pretty good. 6'3", you know, like, he's got good size for heavyweight limit, but he moves well. And that's where I think that maybe he'll have better, better option against Ivanov. I go back to that Arlovsky fit, like you said. 
I don't compare Arlovsky and Ivanov just because Arlovsky's made a career out of this, like, just, again, mobile heavyweight. He's quick on his feet. He has no power at this stage in his career. But he just moves on the outside and just chips away at you, outpunches you, outpunches you. If you look at the fight versus Arlovsky versus Akai, I don't know how you felt about it. I, I thought Arlovsky won. I mean, he outstruck him. He landed, maybe didn't land the better punches, but he outpunched him. And I thought Sakai gave a bad version of himself. And that's where I'm struggling with this pick mainly, is that Sakai is a tale of two fighters. Like, throughout mm-hmm. his career, he has been massively inconsistent. OG fans obviously remember him from his Bellator days. But even then, like, he's touted as an undefeated heavyweight. He's 9-0. and He's the next big shit. And he has a draw against Dan Charles. It's like, whoa, dude. That's the first signs of him being no good. Then he loses to Chai Congo. Since then... He just kind of like fell off the map, and then all of a sudden he ends up on the Dana White Contender Series, gets a contract. Now he's in the UFC, beats Chase Sherman, split draw against Andre, or sorry, uh, split decision loss against Arlovsky, and then beat Marcin Tabura. Like again, so the version of him that showed against Chase Sherman, it wasn't that he went deep into three with Sherman that I'm worried about. You know, the guy looked okay. Like he landed a lot of strikes, over significant strikes landed. His cardio checked out. He was throwing lots. It was a throwdown type fight. I liked him there. It was the fact that the immediate next fight against Arlovsky, he threw almost, well, didn't throw, but landed almost nothing. So what I'm going to associate that was just Arlovsky was too in and out for him. Like, he was just too much at distance. Tybura's more in your face. He landed on Tybura. Yeah, that fight. Ivanov's going to be in your face, but knocking Ivanov is going to be nearly impossible. Like, he has a cast iron chip. Motherfucker survived a stab to the heart. <laughs> Not a fake story. Bulgarian nightclub. By the way, don't ever go to a Bulgarian nightclub. The fuck are you thinking? Uh, stabbed in the heart. Didn't kill him. This guy has beaten Fedor Emelianenko in a Sambo match when Fedor was Fedor, man. And has never been KO'd. So Augustus, a guy KOing him, I just, I just don't see it. What he's going to have to do is just be the mobile guy, stand on the outside, and they'll punch him. Can he do that? I do believe that he can. Ivanov, as much as like his little run here has been somewhat impressive, you can't deny he looked absolute terrible against Rothwell, but slightly edged him out. I watched Tai Voss was super green, not a great fight. The Derek Lewis fight, he relied on his takedowns. So in this fight, if he doesn't get those takedowns, Sakai wins. If he can muster up those takedowns, great. I just don't think he will because Sakai being 260 pounds is going to have too much of a base for him. He's not Derek Lewis flops around. I think Sakai gets the job done. But fuck, man, you should probably pass him. So it's going to be close. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Sakai there. I, I, every time I watch Ivanov, I just, I'm just flabbergasted. And I just don't understand like, how this guy continues to win fights. Um, I just, I don't know. Obviously, he's tough as nails and refuses, refuses to quit. That's, that's the real, like, he's super durable, super tough. He'll keep coming forward. And he seems to, he definitely has three-round gas. But I don't know. He just it just looks he looks so slow and deliberate. I just don't understand how he <laughs> consistently fools some of the better heavyweights in the world. It's it's just doesn't make any sense to me when I watch him on tape. Yeah, you know what, and that's why he's a pick him. They to pick him in the spot. He'd be a pick him against a lot of guys, I think, because again, I had Rothwell. Again, mind you, I'm one and two. Ivan on last three. I had Rothwell over him, and the whole time I'm screaming at the TV at Rothwell. Because Rothwell blows that fight. Could have won it. He blew that fight. And I'm the fucking moron that bet Ty Tuivasa over him. And Ty sucked that fight. But again, like he had moments where it's like, what are you doing? But he blew it. The Derek Lewis fight, I bet Ivanov. And he probably lost. However, he got that fight. Or sorry, I bet fucking Lewis. And I thought Lewis lost. And uh, sure enough, Ivanov loses. 
So it's like it's hard to get a read on this guy. But you nailed it. He's very plodding. He stays in your face. It's not that he's got great cardio. It's that he's so durable. He'll give you as much in the third round as he's giving you in the first round. Mm-hmm. It's just I think with Sakai being able to stay on the outside and pop away with this guy. And the last thing is, right, I know I don't talk about, like, the live crowd aspect a lot. But in the first fight, I, there's more, I can't guarantee you much in the first fight. Admit, but I can guarantee you this is probably the first fight in Woodley's last six that he won't get booed. Because there's no life crowd. And in this fight, Ivanov's little take a beating and then keep coming at you and the crowd's getting into it and two heavyweights are slugging out. Like, that plays well for a live crowd. In this, like, tight venue situation, it's a small cage. Sakai's just landing the better shots. You're going to hear them, like, I don't know. It's, it was probably a pass, but I guess because i got to give a pick on it, I'm going to take Sakai. All right, we'll move on down the card then. And here's one that's really been troubling me, Cody. We got your boy. Billy Quarantillo taking on Spike Carlisle. Now, here's the thing. We're in COVID-19 pandemic. Quarantillo basically sounds like quarantine. So, you know, Billy's probably ready for this. And you have Spike Carlisle, the alpha ginger. And everyone knows gingers were made for, or gingers were made for isolation. So, this is a tough one. You have uh, Quarantillo, who obviously has the better gas. I'm obviously joking about all that other stuff, but... You obviously have Quarantillo, who's got the better gas tank, really, really high pace. Um, when he takes you down, like I think last, yeah, last fight, he had a, only had a couple takedowns, but like nine advances. The guy's always moving when he gets to the ground. Spike Carlisle's never been submitted, but he has he has gassed quite a bit in some of his earlier fights. Um, obviously, he had the perfect elbow against Alon Cruz in his, in his uh, UFC debut. Hit him right behind the ear and, and closed the show pretty quick. Nice little finish for him. What happens if he don't get that finish early? Because Billy, Billy's going to keep coming. Billy's not going to win in round one. I think this fight, for me, really, really step or uh, looks like a really, really good live betting opportunity. It's like Carlisle maybe gets the best of Quarantillo in round one, but you can kind of see him fading a little bit. Maybe, maybe jump on Billy if the price is right. I don't have a hard stance on this one. I was hoping that you would, because these are kind of your guys. I don't know if Spike Carlisle is, yeah, but, Bill, yeah, yeah, but Billy yeah. is. Talk, talk about bullshit matchmaking, eh? Spike Carlisle comes through as a nice little duke in his uh, 175 with his UCDU, and we're fucking on Spike Carlisle, man. This guy, one thing he's built like a, he's like a muscle car, man, his mm-hmm. upper body. Is fucking jacked. He's jacked. He's so big up top. Yeah, yeah. And as a result, like, yeah, maybe he does have cardio issues because he's so big up top. Like, he generates a ton of power. But the flip side of that is, like, dude generates a ton of power, man. And he hasn't been particularly great throughout his career. But when you look at his last three, and he had he had jumped on my radar because of that LFA fight. He made a spinning back fist over this Matthew Colloquin or something. Anyway, KO's him stiff. It's just like, Jesus Christ, like, the spinning back fist is wild. It's out there, but you show, like, man, this guy's got massive power. Next two fights, same thing. Elon Cruz is a little bit of a finesse fighter from the outside. Like, we figured Spike Carlisle would just, like, close the gap. Things that you don't see on paper, because he's got that big power, we get that. But, like, things you don't see on paper is a judo black belt, BJJ brown belt. Mm-hmm. So his ground game's not terrible as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he could be okay. But he's only half my boy. Billy, my boy. Yeah. Me and Billy go way back. God damn. I mean, he totally fanned out of the Ultimate Spider season 22. But yeah, man, he's, there's a lot of things to like about him. His cardio checked out, his ground game checked out, his heart checked out, his striking checked out. He, obviously, issues. He's not a world champion here. He's not a world champion contender either. 
issues is he's very hittable and he gives up usually the first round because he can keep pouring it on you. I think he'll find a way. He's been KO'd in his career. He has lost fights in his career. But for the most part, it's like, I think it checks out. Like Spike Carlisle could KO. If it does happen, it's going to happen in the first round. But I don't see it. Billy's an evolved fighter. And again, like I have friends of mine that have trained with Billy and they just rave about this guy as if maybe he is contender material. I don't see it at 31. He's got a lot of making up to do. A fight over Spike Carlisle does him no good, especially on a card like this. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have to win this fight impressively and do something. However, when you look at the price tag on it, it's like, oh, geez. I mean, you can have Billy for 130. It's like, ah, it seems to me like. You know, you got to go Billy. You got to go Billy. I see Spike Carlock keeping the fight standing in the first round. They exchange punches. Spike Carlock throws more power, but Billy throws more volume, and Billy just chips away at this guy. In the second and third round, either Billy finds a way or the fight ends up on the ground. Fight ends up on the ground. Billy takes it. 135. I get Billy. Sounds good to me. Uh, We move on down the card. We have Roosevelt Roberts taking on Brock Weaver. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts is a minus 335 favorite. Uh, Brock Weaver could be had for plus 245. Brock Weaver, um, winner by uh, disqualification in his UFC debut. I I like the guy's personality. I don't think that this guy has the talent to fight at this level. Roosevelt Roberts is a guy who's had a lot of a lot of hype, maybe some of it a little bit too much, but I think he's he's developing and he's got a decent skill set all the way around i think if he gets this to the ground he could he could really make quick work of uh brock weaver uh down on the mat find a find some sort of choke because like brock brock got taken down immediately by kazula vargas and if it wasn't that illegal knee like he got like that was about as clear cut of a 10-9 he's down around to start his ufc career he wasn't getting back up once he was taken down he was he was stuck against the fence the entire time. Like the only reason he won that fight is because of the illegal knee. So I know the price seems a little bit stiff, but I think Roosevelt Roberts cr- uh, cruises here. Brock Weaver, I don't think belongs. I'm sorry, it, it seems mean, but it is what it is. Yeah, no, honestly, you're you're dead on it, right? And it's no disrespect to uh, to Brock Weaver what whatsoever. No, none. We, I think you made a great point here too, right? And Brock Weaver seems like a really good dude. And I say that because he got knocked the fuck out, got a win out of it, and was probably the only guy to be like, oh, fuck, I lost that fight. Like he understood he made a mistake in a fight and he got KO'd in a fight. And just because the ref was like, oh, well, your knee was down, it didn't matter. Like he knew what was up. And that's cool. But I went, I bet actually Kazulo Vargas in that fight. And it was going back to the fact that I know Brock Weaver. Brock Weaver is a career journeyman. Now, my girlfriend's Native American. She knows all Native American fighters. We like Brock Weaver. Brock Weaver lays it down. But you go back to even his fight with Crazy Horse Bennett, an island fight. It's a split. It's a split over a nobody. And Crazy Horse, my, one of my favorite fighters. You know that especially. Mm-hmm. He's 30 and 36. You hustle the split over him. Prior to that, you had lost. You had won a split decision over Wesley Golden, who was also seven and nine. So it's like he was fighting absolute bottom of the barrel. He lost to Joe Riggs in a bare knuckle boxing match again, my boy. I'm following the shit out of this guy. Him getting on contender series made no sense to me. Like, what are you wasting your time? He's plus one thirty underdog. I went against went against him. He won. He proved me wrong. No fucking way. Brock Weaver wins a fight in the UFC. Not gonna happen. Maybe like CM Punk. God damn it. 
he's well on his way to losing that fight. Let's be real here. Do you think if that knee didn't land, he was coming back and winning that? No, he's getting his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. But he gets the win out of it. So what are the fucking chances that Brock Weaver is going to win two fights in the UFC, especially back-to-back? Just, like, unheard of. And then with Roosevelt Roberts, is like he's actually a good developing prospect. Like, mm-hmm. he's only 26 and he's developing. And you can appreciate this more than anybody because you're one of the only sons of bitches I know who hit Vince Pichel at plus 200. But that's the kind of fight you need to lose on your way up, you know? That's mm-hmm. a good gut check. It's a learning experience. You knew that was going to happen because Vince is a motherfucking brick wall. He's the Swiss Army knife. And he's just looked good since then, you know? He's made the developments. He's getting He's getting better. He's actually a lot faster than Brock Weaver. He's a better technical striker than Brock Weaver. Fight hits the ground, he's better than Brock Weaver. He's got the advantages all over. Yeah. 350 is a big price tag. No doubt about it, it's a, price, a fair price tag. But if I'm capping it myself, it's 500. Yeah. And come fight time, it might get to 500. Maybe. If you can get it for 350 now, it's parlay material. I think that, you know, it's not crazy to think Roosevelt Roberts is getting the W on Saturday. Yeah, that all makes sense. Uh, we got Mackenzie Dern taking on Hannah Cyphers. Cody, explain this one to me. We got uh, Mackenzie Dern um, coming off of... I mean, Amanda Rebus is a much better athlete all the way around than Hannah Cyphers. But, you know, Dern was like a minus 200 favorite against Hannah Cyphers. Or, sorry, against... Uh, against her uh, against Amanda Rebus. Now she's a minus 435 favorite. Cyphers is plus 365. With Mackenzie Dern's career in UF in in MMA. Um at least uh, once she got to the UFC. I know she's only got the one loss, but she has looked very dodgy in other situations. I don't know how you get up to this price tag at minus four four thirty five. Like it's it's dogger pass. I never bet on Boomhauer before here. Um, we'll see what things how things shake out during the week because it's at straw weight, and we know Big Mackenzie Dern struggles to do that as well. I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of red flags here. I'm definitely not laying the chalk on Dern though. I'll tell you that much. What about you? I mean, in my current state of mind, I think you fucking lay the chalk on Mackenzie Dern. Like, it's parlay material again. If you're looking to put a parlay together that's two chalk favorites, then Roosevelt Roberts and Mackenzie Dern are obviously your plays. Listen, Mackenzie Dern obviously struggles to make the weight. It didn't look good against Amanda Rebus, but again, that's a lot of recency bias. Like, Rebus at the time wasn't who we thought she was. Imagine this, dude. She's a plus 140 underdog to Emily Whitmire, of all fucking people. Beats Whitmire, and then is a 185 dog against Dern, because people love Dern. And she beats Dern. And then against Marcos, who's a perennial contender. Not a world champion. Let's, let's get that straight. A perennial contender. Yeah. Always fighting the best girls. Always at the top echelon. She comes into that fight as a minus 400. Yeah. Based on the win over McKenzie The odds Dern. never make so sense. So right there, it's like, no, no. It jumps around all over the place. But I think for Dern, a lot of people were like, oh, she got exposed. She got exposed because she lost as a big favorite. She came in undefeated. She had a lot of hype. And there was a lot of haters. You know, I hate using that term because it's fucking stupid as fuck. But... There's a lot of people that just don't like her, right? Like, either she's missing weight and it's easy to get on her and that that. I mean, it's a fake Cody. It's, a, it's a fake Cody. It's a fake accent. The fake accent. Oh, my God. How could you not harp on her for the fake accent? It's so right? fake. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and it's the dating Tinquino Mendez. And then she's dating some surfer guy. And then she's having a kid. And she was always a jiu-jitsu ace. And, you know, she's talking about MMA, and I get it, and this and that. But, I mean, it, listen, Paul, I, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about style clashes. Style clashes is she wins this fight all day. Hannah Cyphers couldn't get up from Angela Hill 
thing on top of her. Now let's reiterate that. Yeah, but Mackenzie Dern can't wrestle. Not big for the weight class. Yeah, you know what? If she gets stood up and she gets bopped up for three rounds, which is Hannah Cyphers' past victory all day, then 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 yeah, yeah, I get it. But you know what? She's developed her striking enough that she's going to throw heat and it's going to create a scramble. And it's the same way that like she couldn't strike against Bobby Cooper. Bobby Cooper's got a boxing background. Bobby Cooper's punches a lot cleaner than Mackenzie Dern. But it's like when you're that good on the ground, you just start, you throw reckless and then you lead a scramble. Once you hit a scramble, you get the fight to the ground. That's where I see this fight taking place. I think her striking is developed enough that Hannah Cyphers is not some world-class striker, by the way. She's no. probably on paper a better striker. I will give you that. And she's cast iron, you know, the pitch is tough. I'll give her that too. But like submission defense, like she, you got pounded out from the ground from Angela Hill. If Dern gets his fight even once to the ground, you think you're getting them hips off you? No fucking chance. Like, she is very, very top-heavy. She just got to get the fight to the ground. And in this setting where it's, like, it's not huge pressure, Dern should excel in that setting. Because, again, Hannah Cyphers is a big crowd-type girl. She's a it's she, third Cody, round. And you're drinking, you're drinking Bud Light. You're drinking Bud Light. And you're cheering. And you're like, fuck yeah. And Hannah Cyphers <laughs> fucking keeps marching forward. But in the end, you're dog. Like, Dern's just going to get her down, no. establish position, hear everything her corner is telling her. And put this shit away. It's got to be Duran. You can't go Cypher. If you want to pass, pass. Listen. But you can't go Cypher. Here's, here's a take, and this is going to kind of sound mean. Hannah Cyphers, anytime they've given her the microphone after a fight, clearly has, like, crippling anxiety. Um, she just... Yeah, that's why I call her Boomhauer. It's really... It's pretty... It's pretty cruel, to be perfectly honest. But I'm not... I'm kind of an asshole. Um, there's no crowd. There's no crowd. So she's not going to have anxiety. This could be the best performance of her life. I want to that with the point when you're done. I mean, that's the point. She has crippling anxiety. Now there's no crowd. Maybe she's like, this is going to be the best performance of her life. That's why I would be hesitant. Like, Hannah Cyphers seems like someone who thrives in isolation. Now you can go. Okay. I'll t- I'm going to counter with this, right? You normally, as I think you're right, Paul. That's not a bad theory. It's not greasy enough for my liking. Here's a, here's a bigger theory, dog. <laughs> What's more pressure? Straight up, straight up. This is a straight up question. What's more pressure? All these people being like, ma, 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 ma. You don't really hear anything going on. It's just like, it's just noise. A lot of noise. But that crazy crowd, that's that big pressure. Or being on the ground with Darren's big fat ace on top of you. And then hearing Brandon Fitzgerald and Paul Felder being like, oh, yeah, she's fucked. Yeah, she's getting a lot of trouble from here. <laughs> like that, that pressure when you can hear the people talking about how you're that. fucking up. Key to the moment, you're throwing hands. It's like, damn, whatever happens, happens. But when it's going to be a precise tactical matchup, I'll tell you something, dude. And I've been to high-profile grappling matches all over the world. This happens routinely. It's a, there's, there's one mat, and you have a coach, and your coach just talks to you through the position. That's, all, that's what jiu-jitsu is. Jiu-jitsu is not a fight because in a fight, you can barely hear your corner, and buddy's throwing hands at you, and it just, it's a completely different ballgame. This open setting of not having a crowd there. And, and, and also, because it's at the apex, they're going to the 20-foot foot cage from the 30. It's, it's a small, small cage. cage. It's not yeah. the big cage. So there's going to be less room to run around effectively, right? Yeah. And that's going to affect a few fights. That's going to affect a fight like Caitlin Chikagian, who likes to use all of the room. That might affect a fight like Sakai. Sakai, if he can't get away from Ivanov, and Ivanov gets the takedown. Gee, that's a game changer. It's going to affect some fights. When I think of Dern and Cyphers, I think at some point, Duran's going to get a hold of her. It's going to create a scramble. She's going to create that opportunity. Is she a mega lock? No. 
At 450, I think that's the highest price tag you go on. But I'm not. I, I don't see Cyphers winning this fight. It's dog or pass. Sorry, it's favorite or pass. If you want to parlay or chase that 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 added money, um, but it's been steamed to the price that it should be at. But Dern is the pick. All right, let's move on. We got uh, Antonina Shevchenko checking, taking on Caitlin Chukagian. Uh, Shevchenko minus one thirty-five. Chukagian plus one fifteen. I saw. I think it was Mike's MMA picks dropped this stat up on Twitter. And uh, I don't have it right in front of me, so I may be a little bit off on it. But I think Caitlin Chikagian is 0 for 17 in takedowns in the UFC. I mean, that's yeah, that's 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 a bad stat for how you win this fight. I mean, she could be. Comp- I, I think it could be very very competitive on the feet. But like Antonina's hanging around with the champion who literally just fought this girl. Knows everything that she has to do. She's not nearly, she's not able to do exactly what Valentina does, but she's going to have a good not idea. I'm sure Shevchenko can like emulate Shukagian's style pretty much to a T, even with a yes, a bunch of yes, and stuff like that. Um, I'm sure that's just going on every single day with their little traveling nomadic fight club that they have there. Um, I like Shevchenko here. I think it's the line is kind of more representative of like recency bias. We saw Modafferi, who never gets any sort of respect, get uh, or like absolutely just walk all over Shevchenko. But she did it with wrestling. If she, Caitlin Shevchenko, yeah, I know that she's got like a black belt in jujitsu. But if you can't get the fight to the ground, then what good is it really? So I actually kind of like Shevchenko to get the W here. What about you? Yeah, again, this is another close fight that could go either way. I can see you making a very strong, valid case for either side, but I'm going to go with Chikagian just based on, I'm going to hope, volume. Speed, I think I'm going to give a slight advantage to Chikagian. I think there's no denying that Valentina Fichenko is a more credited kickboxer, obviously with the Muay Thai background. And as far as the actual striking style goes, like it's more my preferred type of style. You know, she's heavy. She's got big, heavy leg kicks. She's got decent, she has no power. She throws like she's going to, she sets her feet and wants to throw a delivering shot. But, I mean, when you look at the results, they speak for themselves. She's just not huge on the power-punching ability. That's the main key between her and Valentina. Again, this is Valentina is someone who a lot of people criticize for her finishing abilities as well. Mm-hmm. But just, like, when it came time to dance, it was like, geez, she can put you away. Yeah, once, she came down, one blow. once she came down to 125, it's just like, okay, it's a different story. She was fighting people who are way bigger than her when she's at 135 and wasn't getting any finishes for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. Now, meanwhile, I think a lot of people were introduced to Antonina, who's the sister of Shevchenko through Dana White's Contender Series, and she got a finish on Contender Series. So this is an impression of, oh, man, we've got older sister. They train together. They're the main training partners. We've got another future world contender challenger at the very least, but that's not the case. Like, the majority of her Muay Thai fights went the distance, and as far as her MMA record, that was actually her first TKO. She hadn't really knocked out anybody prior to that. So with Hudilova, she showed off a little bit of ground game. But again, that's not how this fight's going to go. Chikagian has a better ground game. It's a result of who's going to win these striking exchanges. When I look at Antonina Shevchenko, I think she's at best, maybe in a three-round striking affair, she's looking to land 60 to 80 strikes. I- I'm putting that at a range. Mm-hmm. And if I with Chikagian, who's naturally harder to hit, I- I- I'm putting her range at 40 to 50 significant strikes landed. And where Chikagian punches a whole lot of air, does land pitter-patter type strikes. So now we're relying on the three judges' cage side. We're looking at three people and their subjectivity and how they're looking at it. Are they looking for that? Ha, 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 
Kaylin yeah. Kagan technically glanced three blows here, whereas Shevchenko maybe landed one counter. How, how do you know? You can't know. So it comes down to it, this is dogger pass. This fight is 50 50. This is fight is competitive. And I could legitimately see it going split decision, right? I know that sounds stupid because, like, I think it's going to be a Chukagian decision. If I'm me three times, it's a Chukagian decision. But what I'm saying is it's going to be close. Mm -hmm. So it's a flat-out dogger pass. It's plus 110 for for, uh, for Chukagian. Yeah, Yeah, close enough. Again, relative. It seems pretty close on. But if if Antonina Shevchenko, okay, didn't have that last name, you just took her body of work minus the last name, Caitlin Chukagian's just fought for the title, has fought all the best girls in the division, is established. You know what you're getting out of her. Whereas Shevchenko is just like all over the map. She fought a lot of soft competition. She lost to Mata Perry, who absolutely dominated her on the ground. Yeah. And then she picked up a winner of Pudilova, who just Pudilova seems really tapped out these days. Like I know she just got released, but she's just not fighting up to her, you know. And and, and then when you look at Shevchenko, it's okay. She's she's 35 years old, so like. Uh, is she going to get any better? Like, no, she's regressing as an athlete. She's regressing as a fighter. She's not her sister, but she has a last name. That that That's not enough for me, especially as a favorite. So I have to take Caitlin Chukagian. I think that is good, it's 100% going decision. Well, it's 100%, 99% going decision. And I think Chukagian ends up getting that split or hopefully getting the unanimous. But I would take Caitlin Chukagian in that spot. All right, we are on the opposite side of that one. We move on down. We've got a late replacement. We have Daniel Rodriguez taking on Gabriel Green. Um, no, or sorry, the odds on that are Rodriguez minus three fifty, Gabriel Green plus two sixty. This fight is going to be a real focal point at the end of the show. Look in the time or look in the description. We have like our DraftKings breakdown and stuff. Um, I mean, this is like the question of the slate when we get to that part of the show. Uh, Rodriguez looked pretty good against your boy, uh, the Dirty Bird, Tim, Tim Means. Able to clip him at the end of round one and kind of finish the job in round two. Um, good performance against a proven veteran. Um, Gabriel Green, I don't actually know all that much about. Um, but you're usually pretty familiar with these guys on the regional scene. I did not get into uh, in too deep on Gabriel Green yet with him, you know, with him getting just added to the card, like, Last night, basically. Uh, I guess two nights ago for anybody who's listening right now. Um, Yeah, the real question will become DraftKings because it's Daniel Rodriguez is going to be 7300 and there's no price for Gabriel Green at the time of this recording. Um, Is Daniel Rodriguez parlayable, though, Cody? Parlayable? No. For the strict reason that what Gabriel Green brings to the cage is just like sheer power like he's got a great finishing ability i mean the majority of his wins i'm actually sorry all, all of his wins. i think he's what eight and two he's nine and two all nine of his pro wins are by way of finish so like his path to victory would be catching with rodriguez with something and putting him away so in that regard i do love daniel rodriguez but yeah this is i wouldn't say taylor made for rodriguez to win but like all the chips are in his favor I mean, Rodriguez is a guy that coming in, I mean, I'm a bowhead on this. I think we could both, both in the same boat. He fought Tim Means, and we fully talked about this guy. Means should kick his ass all day. Means is a better striker. Means has got all things. The one thing Means doesn't have is durability. Like, if you take his shots and you go a couple rounds with him, you can get this fight until later, then you make, you make him pay drastically. Mm-hmm. And that Daniel Rodriguez was a tough guy 
with a great jiu-jitsu base. I mean, he's a black belt in, in jiu-jitsu. His grappling's really good, but he's tough enough standing that he'll stay with it. And he literally knocked means out cold right at the end of the first round. He's losing the first round, but he stays in it long enough. He lands that shot. Second round, means is already basically out on his feet. He hurts means obviously, and he gets a submission victory. But again, it's like there's a lot to like out of the, out of this guy. He's not young, but we've seen already. It's probably like a polished version of this fighter. Whereas Gabriel Green is still green. He's still yeah, green is green. He's still like you know developing slightly how it is, but. You look back to both of his pro losses, Paul, right? He lost to Jalen Turner in 36 seconds. He lost to his first pro loss as like first-round knockout. So both of his pro losses on his record are both first-round knockouts. Mm-hmm. The rest of those run, same thing. He beat Leon Shabazian, the younger, obviously the younger, or I think he's the older brother. Anyway, the less successful of the two, of course. But he beat Leon Shabazian, again, with that knockout. The rest of his run, same thing. He's clipping guys, he's getting the knockout. Here's where he's going to run to issues. The guy's a natural 155-pound fighter, right? So you look at basically, I remember him from Kabache again, 154 pounds he weighs in, yep. gets the victory. His last fight, he takes a catch weight of 160. That's about as big as this guy gets. I would say he walks around probably at 170, 165, cut, cut 10 pounds, sure, no big deal. Rodriguez is a natural welterweight. Not only that, but Rodriguez was supposed to fight Kevin Holland. Yep. Kevin Holland absolutely took zero damage against Anthony Hernandez. So they rebooked him right away. So but think about he, Kevin Hall. All of a sudden, Kevin Hall did huge. take. Did he get hurt? Did he get hurt training like in between or something? Like, what happened know. with him? Dude, honestly, I I he have felt no like idea. get drunk and like fall downstairs, and we just didn't hear that end of the story because like I we all watched that fight. It did not look like there was very much possibility for Kevin Holland to get hurt. No, yeah, that's that's what I'm not understanding. And then here's a bigger thing that I'm not understanding as well, right? Kevin Holland, no, nowhere impossible, never going to fucking happen. Does Kevin Holland make 170 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. Especially because he just fought at 185 pounds fucking a week ago, right? So, so was this was Daniel Rodriguez going to fight him at 185? I'm looking on tapology. And then when Kevin I'm looking Holland, on when right Kevin Holland got hurt, right? When Kevin Holland gets hurt, they were probably like, "Oh, do you want to fight?" I don't know. Maybe he offers to fight at 170. It, it says main card. Well, well, he's at 170. Maybe there was, maybe there's some confusion here because it does say on at least tapology that it says 170 pounds, like. Maybe that's maybe that's what's wrong with his shoulder. It's a welterweight. Maybe, this is what I'm thinking. That's what it's, it's a welterweight l- fight between a guy who is gonna fight at middleweight versus a guy that usually fights at lightweight. That's what I'm thinking yeah. it's coming down to. I want Daniel Rodriguez. Maybe I, to, I got Daniel Rodriguez. It says, it but says, he's, he's a one and He's a one and unproven guy, and he's a big price tag. Yeah. That's your buyer's beware. Fair enough. All right, let's keep on moving. We got Jamal Hall Hill taking on Clinton Abreu Hill minus one twenty. Abreu plus 100. Watching Jamal Hall Hill's first fight against Darko Stoicic in the UFC. I mean, he got sit- taken down six times. Now, when he got taken down, like, he's pretty good about, you know, locating the head, pushing the head down, and uh, getting back to his feet. Stoicic wasn't able to do very much with those takedowns. And Stoicic, as we know, basically throws no strikes in between. But. And the Hill threw, I think, 258 strikes in that match. Uh, he landed like 80, so he's landing at like a 30% clip. He's super long. He's got a 79-inch reach. 
I can see him fighting from the outside. And I can see him landing a whole bunch of jabs on Abreu. What I don't see is the power to back Abreu up. I know Abreu, Abreu's had a tough run. Like that, that fight against Ankalaev, like he got his face mashed while he was uh, taking on Ankalaev. As would, as would uh, Jamal Hall Hill, I believe, if he took on uh, Magomed Ankalaev. That guy's a freak. Um, obviously, Paul, Paul Craig, that absolute fluke. <laughs> Victory is the only real blemish on that guy's career. He's, he looks like the real deal. I think Abreu, despite giving up a lot in physicality, he's a lot smaller. Abreu kind of has the frame, I believe, that he should be at middleweight, um, not fighting at 100, or 205 pounds. He's definitely giving up a lot of size, but I like his chances against Hill here. I know Hill can definitely win on volume here. But if Clinton Abreu can do any, like if he can land a couple takedowns and and secure top position, I think he's going to just ride it out from there. What about you? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I've been having a trouble trouble gauging Clinton Abreu because I, I like him a lot coming into the UFC. And again, he's got this nickname, you know, the Russian Tear. And mm-hmm. I'd watch them one month. It's like fuck, man. This guy. When you go to Russia and you're beating Russian prospects, or good prospects, by the way, they're bums being good guys it's like damn this guy's for real now he comes to the ufc and there's like you know magomed ankali is above a russian prospect the guy's actually really fucking good he has that paul craig well yeah as you mentioned that'll never leave him that'll literally haunt him to the day he dies it'll haunt me too because i had a bet very heavy say la vie one second left son of a bitch loses to the most russian fucking kryptonite move of all time the fucking triangle choke anyways let's not talk about that that's a tough debut, man. And you know what? Since then, he beat Sam Alvey. That's a gimme. Well, again, not a gimme, but he didn't look great in that fight, by the way. And then the Shamil Gans a tough fight. So, again, I, they're giving him a lot of – put it this way. This is crazy enough to me. He loses to Ankalaev. Then he loses to Shamil Gamzatov. And this fight wasn't initially Jamal Hill. It was uh, Antigulov, Gazmara Antigulov. So it's like, man, just because he's got a nickname, that's the Russian tear, and he fought some Russian guys, like, why do they keep booking him against these Russian guys? Antigulov would have been a much easier matchup. But let's not go there. What I'm getting at is, like, I'm having trouble gauging Abreu because even though I think he's good, he's not getting particularly great matchups, and he's not giving a great version of himself, so to speak. So, it's you know, it's hard to really get behind him and say, oh, he's going to walk through. The problem with Hill is, I don't mind Hill as well, the biggest thing that hits him is that 79-inch reach, mm-hmm. six foot four, southpaw stand. He stays on the outside and just chips away at you, just chips away at Keeps you. Keeps those away hands down, though. But for a guy that's though. that big, Keeps yeah, for a guy really that's that low. big, makes, like, makes me nervous. I think that he's going to give up a takedown. When he gives up the takedown, I don't think that, that being that long, that ranging, being that, you know, just generally tall, you're a big, long guy. It's harder to get up off the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm really hoping, because it's going to come down to Abreu. It's coming down to, is Abreu going to commit to a takedown style game plan? Yeah. Or is he going to stay on the outside and get chipped off? And then eventually commit to something. Because he's going to lose that fight all day. But he he couldn't take down Ankalaya. There's no shame in that. He does have a takedown over Sam Alvey and Shamil Gamzatov. Now, Mm -hmm. keep in mind, Shamil Gamzatov's undefeated, was a highly touted prospect. And nobody takes down Alvey. More than fucking human. Mm -hmm. And nobody takes down Alvey. Yeah, when you take him down, he pops right back up. So those takedowns mean something to me. Whereas Domahal Hill is going to have trouble 
with the takedown. That's what I'm. That's what I'm basing. I'm thinking that Brayu's gonna get two takedowns, and when he has the takedown, that's where it'll be. He'll, it'll be hard for Hill to scramble, get back up again. It's dog or pass. This is way plus one hundred five. Like it's hardly even dog money. But I gotta say, Clinton Abreu, not fighting Russian motherfuckers, usually comes out on the other side. Look at his UFC run. He's one and two in the UFC. He's lost to Russian guys. His win was when they booked him against a non-Russian guy. Mm-hmm. So non-Russian guy here, get that W. I'm thinking Abreu. It's not going to be the prettiest of of events, but you know he's plus he's plus money. It's a relatively close fight. If you get the job done, we'll be happy. Yes, sir. We got uh, Tim Elliott taking on Brandon Royvel. Tim Elliott minus one sixty five. Ravel is a plus one forty five. This fight has potential to just be an absolute scrambling mess. I watched uh, Roy Val's last couple of performances, especially his last one against last name was like Williams. I forget the first name of the guy that he took on, but yeah, he just comes yeah, out, yeah, throws a Williams. flying knee out of the out of the out of the gate, and I guess he, he has so much confidence in his guard. He, he has a very very like sneaky guard. Really, it was pretty. It was fun to watch. I don't know if it's like the highest level of fight IQ to be doing that. But, hey, if it works for him, it works for him. Um, able to get the finish or the submission. He goes from, like, triangle to omoplata to armbar. Like, it was it was pretty impressive stuff. He did that all in the course of a couple seconds. It's on Fight Pass if you want to search that that up. Um, and Tim Elliott loves getting into those scramble fests. Uh, obviously, he's been caught in, like, some guillotines and, and some chokes and stuff like that before. I'm going to lean on the veteran here, who I believe was getting ready for this card for a while, whereas Roy Val coming in pretty short notice. Uh, give me Elliot, but honestly, it's hard for me to bet him after what he... I think he was, like, super, super stunned and probably super concussed. But, like, round three, and I had money on um, his last opponent... Askar Askarov. Askar Askarov. I had money on Askarov. And round three, you know, that fight was pretty dicey until round three. And Elliot's just walking forward with his hands down, just eating shots, literally handing my boy and my bet over to me, which I was happy at that time. But that's a little bit of a different story when you're asking me to uh, bet minus 165. On a guy I don't really trust to stay to script, he may just get into a scramble fest and get caught in something. Because Roy Val does, for like all of his wild shit that he does, he does seem to have finishing ability with that submission game. So, pick is Elliot, but I don't think I can get to minus 165 as a bet. Could be an interesting DraftKings play if it turns into a scramble fest, though. It could be very interesting. And we talk about that every time we talk about Tim Elliott. It's like, man, the guy's upside in the DraftKings play is unbelievable because the amount of sheer amount of scramble that he's going to get into, takedown, 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 transitions, back up, pop back up, couple strikes, takedown. It's just like it, it adds up very quickly. He's been a fan favorite on the DraftKings side for a long time. The other problem with Tim Elliott is that he's massively inconsistent. Mm-hmm. For as many talents as the guy has, and he is very talented, he's super unfocused. Like his 15, 10, and 1 record is a great indication of that. Because again, this is a guy that fought tooth and nail against Demetrius Johnson in a world title fight, won around, but gave him a good fucking fight is the bottom line of the story. And yet he's a massive journeyman. And at 33 years old, it ain't getting any better for him. And I know he's relocated to Vegas, but that's not a great thing. Like he had a little run going there with James Krause and the guys at the Glory Fitness in Kansas, where he's probably focused. Then he went to Thailand and was like, fuck, man, this guy seems like he's just. Not there and, partying, yeah. and, 
Yeah, and then he's back from Thailand and he's in Vegas. And I always tell that story like I ran into him. The guy's a fucking zombie on this fucking strip. And it's like, what the fuck, dude? And he's dating uh, uh, Gina, Gina Mazzani. Dave yeah. Mazzani's sister, Gina. Yeah, it's just like, holy fuck, dude. Dirty Dave Mazzani's sister? Like, anyways, Gina's actually not bad looking. Fiction not on her, but not a bad looking guy, actually. <laughs> anyways, all I'm saying is that his run has kind of been an indication of that. Like, he hasn't been fighting particularly well. Nobody thought he was going to lose to Ben Nguyen. You know, he comes in as a minus 215 favorite over Ben Nguyen and got submitted in the first or 49 seconds. He got submitted for Ben Nguyen. Mm-hmm. Not really known for his, his, his grappling. Good grappler, by the way. But not really known for his grappling. But just like he laid a total goose egg as a two-to-one favorite. You know, the Mark De La Rosa fight, again, he's a 225 favorite. We expect him to win, and he does win. But since then, like, it's no shame. Eh? Mm-hmm. Davidson Figueredo and Asker Asgrove, the current flyweight champ and the top five contender. Like, okay, dude, pretty fucking tough run. He should walk out there and put it on Roy Val. My problem is that Roy Val is that 27-year-old up-and-coming kid who's been proving himself. I didn't like him at the beginning of his career. He used to fight for Kombache Americas. I worked a couple of those. And, yeah, I just didn't think he was all that good. When you look at his run since then, it's like he's a developing fighter. Nate Williams, I don't take any credibility. Yeah, whatever. It's, a, it's an early submission, like you're saying, 23 seconds or whatever it was. It, Nate Williams is like five feet tall. But Nate Williams is a good grappler. He wrestled collegiately. And, you know, the guy is a decent grappler. So whatever Joby Sanchez. Joby Sanchez fought in the UFC. He's fought mm-hmm. in Connecticut. He's a former Greg Jackson guy. He wrestled collegiately. You know, he loses the big fight, whatever. But again, like he's beaten incredible guys. Again, Jerome Rivera is an injury. Jerome Rivera was a top prospect. He's not looking to take any shortcuts. He's looking to do it the right way. Now he's in the UFC and they're behind him and it's all systems ago. Where I would definitely either see with this as a pass or a bet it, whatever, is that it doesn't make sense for Roy Val. If you're thinking about his career, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, right? He actually had a fight scheduled with Jerome Rivera, a rematch because he already beat Rivera. Um, it's a rematch on Contender Series, and it's in like a month. So they need a guy, and they recall him to fight on a UFC card. Oh, geez, you know what? Fuck Contender Series. You get the contract now, and you'll fight a guy. And your first fight is a guy who's a 25-fight veteran. He's got 10 fights in the UFC. Title challenge. He won the Ultimate Fighter. He fought Demetrius Johnson in a five-round title fight where, I mean, he fought two. After winning, yeah, winning fight, the Ultimate Fighter, yep. Yeah, and his, and his last two fights are over the current fucking champion, or well, interim champion, whatever. Henry's never going back down. Figueroa is a real champ. Fi- Henry's, uh, Henry's retired. Again, Henry's retired. <laughs> right, right. Henry's retired for now. <laughs> if he comes back, it ain't, it ain't at 25. Guarantee you that. No. Um, and, yeah, and then, and then over Askarov. And by the way, dude, and I had Askarov bet pretty big. After two rounds, I was shitting my pants. Mm. Third round, thank God Elliot blew it for himself. Yeah. But I was shitting my pants. How does a guy that's not fought once and he's fighting for a contract fucking a week ago, he's scheduled to fight for a contract, is not fighting Tim Elliott. It makes no sense. But Brennan Roy Val, his whole career, he's been out of Factory X Muay Thai in Colorado, right? He's, he's a longtime Mark Montoya guy. And those guys work closely with Tim Elliott and James Cross. James Cross has spent time at Factory X, a lot of time at Factory X, actually. They're, they're all very familiar with each other. And that's where I think those guys got tim elliott's name on a contract and we're like in in whereas tim elliott I, I don't know i don't know what the fuck he's been up to but i can guarantee you he needs a paycheck so i don't know does that it, it's buyers if you're on elliott i'd be i'd be sweat should yeah. he be the favorite yeah we just talked about all the experience no doubt he should be the favorite but he's fucked up in similar spots before he's not trustworthy i wouldn't put my money behind him in the spot that's all i'm saying 
The only guarantee in that fight, Cody, is that Mark Montoya is not throwing in the towel, clearly. No, never. If he never. dies, he, he dies. dies. He dies. <laughs> All right, we got Casey Kenny taking on Louis Smolka. Casey Kenny is a minus two sixty five favorite. Smolka plus two twenty five. Mike's MMA picks again, putting out the the good content this week. He uh, posted a picture of Louis Smolka. I don't know if he posted to his Instagram or something. Smolka's looking pretty jacked. Like I know this is up at one thirty five. Smolka was a career one twenty five or struggled at that weight class. We saw some bad weight cl- weight cuts from him. He looked very healthy, and he looked like he had a very, very visible six-pack. He was looking thicker than he ever had in his life. Casey Kenny's been really good. His grappling's great. He was able to negate Ray Borg, who I think is a better overall grappler than Louis Smolka, um, at least when you factor in the wrestling and all of that. Um, I think Casey Kenny should be the favorite here, but minus 265 is, uh, especially when I saw that picture of Smolka looking the best I've ever seen Smolka look by a long shot. I think the price is a little bit too wide for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, pricing pricing is definitely way off. Like, Lou Smolka brings it. And where Lou Smolka is, he's not a Tim Elliott, but where I'm going to draw a small comparison between Tim Elliott and him is that when Smolka's on top of his game, he's a threat, man. He does a lot of great things. He's a decent enough striker. I don't like his, you know, skinny man stay on the outside technique but again he gets the job done he showed in his last fighting to ryan mcdonald who's the most punchable guy in ufc history you know again his striking is not bad his wrestling geez not bad he wrestled in high school not collegiately but he's made a he's made a grind of being able to take down lesser opponents and as far as him actually getting top control establishing top control on you guys a slick grappler where he's inconsistent is i guess you know he dealt with substance abuse for a long time i shouldn't say substance abuse he was drinking i don't know that i'm drinking right now so eh, sometimes one leads to the other the guy too much go ahead i said sometimes one leads to the other cody yeah okay that's a fair point too <laughs> but since since he got custody of his child and he moved to Timo Yama full time you do see the improvements in his game where I fully believe that Casey Kinney is the favorite is that Lewis Smolka's takedown defense is just a fucking problem. Yeah. It's a big problem. And again, I go back to that like skinny man build is that when you're five foot nine fighting at 125 is worse than 135. When you're fighting at such a lightweight class and you're a tall, you know, slender built guy, it's increasing. It's harder to take, you know, obviously it's a tough takedown, but it's increasingly difficult to get back up. And a guy like Casey Kinney that wrestled D2, but was a good wrestler in college anyways, and it was also a judo black belt, he's going to have ways to get this fight to the ground. Where he's not going to get the fight to the ground is when he's taking on Marab Dabashvili. But this is a big style change, man. You can't go from fighting Marab to fighting Louis Smolka and expect the same thing. You know, like He's going to get these takedowns. When he gets these takedowns, him and Smolka are pretty comparable as far as the grappling goes. However, 270, no matter how you chalk it up, is a big price tag. If they open this line at 185, then you bet them. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, as the line starts to move, it gets to 225, maybe you bet them. Once it gets past 235, 240, it's like you got to really look at yourself in the eye and be like, Casey Kinney fights a lot of close fights. Mm-hmm. He beat Ray Borg, but a lot of people thought it was a robbery. It was a close fight. I mean, Manny Bermuda's least... fight, again, it's a close fight. He fights close fights. You don't bet a 270 guy who's generally in close fights. Versus Louis Smolko, who, by the way, doesn't get blown out of the water. Yeah, I guess Schnell caught him in a couple fights here and there. But for the most part, it's like, again, he's a scrapper. He's got that Hawaiian mentality in fights. The price is just off. Do I think Casey Kinney wins? Yeah. Do I want to 
Do I want to bank? Is he parlay material? Like we were talking about Roosevelt Roberts and Mackenzie Dern. Like maybe you put them together. Is Casey Kinney in that same boat? Like, no, no, not in that same boat. I, I don't have that same trust for him. I mean, I, I have no trust for Dern. Else. I think I think the Dern one is a little bit much, but. Yeah, you're way off Dern, eh? Yeah, I'm hoping. Uh, I'm not, hoping I'm not betting her up. at nearly a five to one favorite. That's absurd. She can't get well, a takedown. Right? She can't get a takedown. She, yeah, doesn't, she doesn't know how to wrestle. I know that you can have all the best BJJ in the world, but if you don't have striking or you don't have wrestling, like how do you set anything up? That seems to be the problem with her. She could just fucking sit right on her ass and just pull ciphers on top of her. And one would imagine she would hit a sweep somewhere within the two and a half minute mark and then get on top and go to work and get the round at the very least, right? So I don't don't need any ifs. I don't need any ifs when I'm I'm laying five to one. Anyway, fair. Well, I got, I got, I got Casey Kinney here, but I'm starting to scratch my head and think maybe there's an if. So, nah, I'm gonna fucking take Kinney. Whatever. I'm a degenerate. Two seventy though. What a bad price. Yeah, I agree. Hey, well, just yeah, clear, clear. Take Kinney by decision, maybe. At least we're not in Florida still. Cause yeah, Casey Kinney, and we're going to decision, going to decision when we we're just in Florida. There, I mean, yeah, we had. Barbosa, I thought Barbosa beat Ige, so I lost that bet, and that also cost me my seat in the next round of the uh, MMA World Championship, uh, single tier. Uh, pour one out for your old boy Paul Shag here. And then what? Uh, Song Yadong, I had money. I had him in a parlay with Courtney Casey. Um, I didn't think that I was going to win that decision, and that one worked out. And then I had a parlay because you were big on Godella. And I was like, well, Cody's way better at this than I am, so why don't I just add her to a parlay? I mean, it, was, it was one of the parlays that you posted out there. So I, I tailed that, yeah. and I didn't really think I should have won that decision. So the funny thing about all of it is that on um, the really, really close decisions, I went 2-1, and one, and the two decisions that I won were the ones that I thought I lost and the one that I thought I won. That's, that's just how this game goes sometimes, though. It's absolutely nuts. All right, final fight. We've got Chris Gutierrez taking on... Vince Morales, pretty much a straight pick. I'm here. Who you got? Yeah, geez, I I, I gotta go with Gutierrez all day. Um, all I was actually day. kind of surprised about the lines. Like, wow, I don't know. Am I missing something? Like, I should. I'm obviously gonna have a look at a few more of these fights on this card come fight time. But yeah, like here's the thing with Chris Gutierrez is that like he seemingly has just really settled into this role of being a very one dimensional counter puncher. He just mm-hmm. wants to stand with you. He just wants to throw hands, but he's good at that. That's what he does well. The problem is he doesn't seem to like be able to mix up the rest of his game plan together. Against Rowney Bartellos, Rowney's my boy. He's not going to win that fight, but he gave an okay account of himself. Then he got taken down and submitted. His last two fights since then, again, like... Ryan McDonald's just not as if, is this well, a, like, is a softball, plan. though. That's, Everyone that's wins that fight. fight. Yeah, and the DeFreitas fight, he got a split. It didn't look great, but I, I thought he won that fight. For, I thought personally... He wins that fight for sure. Where he, again, struggles in that fight is he gives up two takedowns to draw the defreighter. When he's on the ground, the guy's got trouble. Now the judges look at it. Oh, geez, man, they're scratching their head. Maybe a close round is now getting favored the other way. But as far as standing with this guy clear straight up, like, he's fine. That's his, that's his element. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Vince Morales, like, there's not a ton to get behind, right? Vince Morales is a wrestler. That's that's his base. He's got a wrestling base. His head coach, Tony Franklin, shout out to Tony Street Franklin. 
UFC vet, most notable for eating that dirty fucking back elbow from Anderson Silva in a cage rage fight back in the day. But he's not a particularly high level to this point. Where I find it troubling is that his little his little run in the UFC, right? He's one and two in the UFC. His first fight against Song Yudong. Song Yudong, as far as on paper, you're fighting a guy that was Yudong's debut. Uh, maybe the second fight. Second fight in the UFC. You would just know this guy's like, oh, okay, he seemingly is just a striker. I got a wrestling base. This guy's a clean, technical kickboxer with a bit of a Sanda background. I have a wrestling base again. I'm going to take this Chinese guy down with my wrestling base. That's my key. But he effectively shoots no takedowns against Song Yudong, loses the first two rounds, rallies in third, doesn't matter. The fight with Eamon Zahabi, Eamon Zahabi's one-dimensional, man. He's a fucking striker. He likes to strike. He's got to be DJ Blackwell, but he's not very particularly good with his submissions off the back. It's like, why not just take this guy and grind him down? Doesn't take him down. Effectively shoots zero takedowns. And despite getting despite getting out or um, taken down, Zahabi just he, he does nothing in the fight. So he beats Eamon Zahabi. That's what I think is carrying this line to, oh, geez, you know what? The guy's got to win over Fraz's little brother. Mm-hmm. His losses are to Benito Lopez and Song Yudong. Yeah, he's not really all that bad. It's just that you, even the Benito Lopez fight. It was really close. I watched that one earlier today. Um, really close. He, and the problem with Morales in that fight is he just didn't, he didn't throw enough. Um, he, was get, he was losing all of round one, and, and then he drops Benito Lopez. I think some of the judges may have given him that round, but... Yeah, he kind of just he was act he was always second to act on on so many of the exchanges and I think that's why he you know the judges didn't see it in his favor. Um yeah, I kind of I I see where you're going with uh with the Gutierrez bet here. Yeah, if he's not going to shoot the takedown, he's going to get outstruck and yeah, same thing with I I'm not high on Benito Lopez by the way, but he was getting outstruck by Benito Lopez. He landed the knockdown. It's a, it is a close fight. It's a very close fight, but he loses. Mm-hmm. If he's going to try to engage in that same striking battle with Chris Gutierrez, he loses. It's a decision. This guy's actually durable. He's, he's proven he's durable. And Gutierrez yeah. is not much of a power puncher. No. Gutierrez goes through the motions. He goes through the rhythm. He just outpunches this guy. He wins two. Vince might do his classic Vince third round and rally. Too little, too late. 29-28 Chris Gutierrez. He, he gets a decision. I'm just looking that up right now, Cody. This may be the, the, the bet of the week here on the show. Gutierrez, ah, it's not really, it's not that much more. Wow, I, probably, I just play him. St- I know. I, I was hoping that the the market would be kind of soft on that. It's only plus one forty. I think I would just take you know the straight pick on price at minus one ten. Pay the little bit of chalk just in case he does get a finish. MMA is crazy. Shit happens, and we're we're fighting during a pandemic, so you never know what type of camp people had. I would just. I would eat those extra 50 cents just to have the security of just taking Gutierrez. I know he doesn't, he can't finish the sandwich, but what if he does this one time? I don't know if I would reach one. Time, if it was, yeah. if it was plus 200, I would have, I would have said yes, but plus 140, I don't know if we're, I don't know if that's enough to uh, justify taking that prop in my opinion, at least. All right, let's get to, you, you want to do what, dude, that's, that's MMA for you. When you look at the main event, right? That Gilbert Burns fight. Who would have thought Burns was going to KO Damian Maya in like under three minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Damian Maya fought all the best guys. And just other than the name Marquardt fight fucking a decade ago, this guy's durable. And when you rewatch that fight, eh, not even a big punch. Just like a short shot. Just like a short shot just fucking hits him right on the money and just floors him. It's like, holy shit. That's the stuff you don't see coming. Could, could Chris Gutierrez let him a kick? Upside, like if it's around his head, of course. Yeah. Could Vince land something? Of course. Could 
uh, you know, have we seen guys throw takedowns and knock themselves out? Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's a crazy sport. So for that, less of value for sure. But I think that the play would be, especially when you're looking at it come DraftKings, is that Gutierrez is not big on finishing. Got to factor that in when you're building the roster. All right, let's get into DraftKings then. Uh, I'll just read them off to you because I don't think you have it in front of you. Tyron Woodley, 8,800. Gilbert Burns, 7,400. Uh, who do you like? Will you, will you roster either one of these guys? I'm guessing, based on everything that we said earlier on, that Woodley, because of his lack of uh, lack of uh, you know of throwing of uh, his his Im- or his lack of action, really, he just likes having his back up against the cage to counter strike. I mean, he's not a great DraftKings player unless he gets that first round knockout. Yeah, exactly. Like he he just doesn't do enough leading up to it. Now, what he does have is five rounds, and if Burns is to gas himself out and get knocked out in the third or fourth round, that'd be points for Woodley. But if Woodley's not shooting, like again, when you have that grade of wrestling, if I'm rostering you on DK, I want takedown. Woodley's not going to commit to a takedown heavy game plan, so that's points off right there. As far as the actual knockout blow, he might land 20, 30 significant strikes, not a whole lot more than that. If he does get the KO, that's what you're relying on. So if he gets you a third or fourth round KO, you know, fact is he's at eight, he's eighty eight hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. He's just he's just too overpriced. Yeah. Burns, meanwhile, again, it's gonna be tough for Burns to finish Woodley, but if he can go up three rounds, gasses out, and Woodley for whatever reason can't finish him, it's gonna be seventy hundred bucks. Yeah. So I feel like if you're gonna roster one of these guys, you go Burns. The other thing is, and I know I'm gonna take a Not lot of slack in this episode, I don't mean to, but everybody I'm seeing online, mind you, none of the people I've talked to in person. All of the people online are fucking on Woodley, like heavy. People are on Woodley. And guys I respect, good guys. Mm-hmm. Won't give their names out in case they don't want to. Good guys that have DM'd me and just say, hey, man, watch out. Woodley's got this. And I just do not fucking see it. So it's possible that I'm tunnel blind here. But I, again, I don't see it. I think if you're going to play one of them, it is Burns at 7,400. And that's a TPP type play because his downside is probably very not so good. It's his his downside is getting knocked out in the first round, staring up into that mm, into that the first, but the first couple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Woodley, if I mean, he did to Robbie Lawler. Woodley hits you with the right shot. He can he can definitely uh, take you out. We got Augustus Sakai taking on uh, Blagoy Ivanov, eighty two and eight thousand respectively. Anything worth a shot here? Blagoy is just. I mean, he's in terms of the heavyweight division. Blagoy is basically. I used to say, "Well, Danielle Taylor is DraftKings cancer." Like Blagoy is that for heavyweights. Like guy averages fifty three points a fight, and he's he wins quite a bit, quite quite a good number of fights. Like his upside is seemingly like sixty points. That's not winning you a GPP. Augustus Sakai, and but he's and then. The problem is that he's pretty durable. I don't know. This is this is an easy fight to stay away from, but I guess maybe if you think Sakai could get the early finish, he's he's the he's the guy to go to here. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you take a pass on it, right? I guess with Sakai because he does show a couple of KOs on his record, especially his last fight in the UFC. Oh, geez, Marcin Tabora, former KSW champion, you know, credible enough opponent taking him out but it's like nah man way different Tabora's mentally tapped out big time and also Ivanov again we talked about it already cast fucking iron so like knocking out this guy's gonna be a problem so when he settles into a rhythm of not throwing those punches and not knocking the guy out he's just not gonna score enough so the 8200 Sakai even though I think he gets the victory ever so slightly I'm not looking to play that flip side to that on Ivanov 
Ivano relies getting takedowns for a lot of his points, right? If you look at the fight with Ty Tuivasa, he gets two. Fight with Derek Lewis, he loses. Mm-hmm. He got three. Had he won that fight, it would have been a better scoring affair for him. So he's got to rely again. Same thing over this opponent here against uh, Augusto Sakai. He needs to get those takedowns. If he doesn't, he's going to fall back on a 40, 50 strikes at most. Like some 25 points. Like it's just, it's just not enough. So even though he's a mid-range guy, if, you're gonna, if I knew for sure he was going to be super low ownership and it was a make it or break thing, maybe you lean on him a little bit. But but again, I mean, this is a close fight between Sakai. He, he shows 89 points as an average. Super misleading though. Not going to happen against Ivanov. Ivanov, meanwhile, shows super low. He could at best have 85 points. He could at best have 90 points. But that's that's not that big. 110 points, 120 points that you're looking for in those big finishes. That's a risky take at best, and his upside is not even really all that high. So probably the best case, let these other people have their bid at a at a heavyweight scrap because they think mm-hmm. that probability indicates it'll be a quick finish. This one's probably going to be one of those labored out three rounds, huffing and puffing. Check for me right quick. What's the fight goes the distance on Sakai Ivanov? Uh, let me just, I got so many windows up here. Uh, we've got fight goes the distance. Fight goes to decision minus one fifty five. So it's minus on that. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right? There That's you a go. heavyweight so fight. Bookmaker with, knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's going to be a slobby. It's going to be a slobber knocker. And the odds have it close. And DK has it close. I don't think it's going to be high scoring either way. Victory or defeat. Hit a pass on that. The next one I think will be high scoring. I will be owning a lot of either Billy Quarantillo or Spike Carlisle. Um, probably we'll do like a 66-33 type of split type of thing. It's either Spike Carlisle early or Billy takes on and just lots of pace, volume, and hopefully hopefully you can kind of tire Spike out in round one and then uh, put on the same type of clinic as before. I mean, he scored 139 points. Once he gets you to the ground, he's passing, 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 always trying to improve his position. He's, I mean, we've seen him do it on the Contender Series. There is obviously no DraftKings pricing on that, but that performance against, I forget the name of the guy that he took on, um, like that performance would have been a mass. I think we said this the last time when he made his UFC debut. I'm like, if that fight on contender series was on DraftKings. like Cordillo would have been the highest scorer on the slate like he same type of thing he gets the takedowns he's always advancing kind of the type of guy that you want to be uh looking for in this type of format um i think i i, I imagine you kind of agree it's like Cordillo and uh spike carlisle both are good plays the winner very likely scores you know 90 points plus yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm thinking you're going to want some upside to both of these guys. We're going with Billy as, you know, a main play guy. If you're the type of person that plays multiple lineups, then perhaps you go with some exposure to both guys. Because, yeah, if Billy's going to lose this, maybe he gets clipped early, and then you're going to want that Spike Carlo first-round knockout. If Billy doesn't get clipped early, one's got to believe he's just going to grind him down and, you know, eventually get him over time. Billy's my guy for sure. The one thing Billy's going to have going against him here is that Billy's a natural 145. I mean, he's not a particularly super big guy. He's a 145er. Spike Carlisle has fought his last fight at 145, but in his career, he's fought at 155 and didn't seem like overly out of place. Mm-hmm. This one is a catchway to 150. That'll play more towards Spike Carlisle, getting those additional five pounds on Billy 
in that maybe he's going to be able to stand him up. Maybe his punches are going to do a little more damage. Maybe he's not going to tire as much as we need to get. But Billy's been good to us, man. And I think it's a career of people overlooking him, right? Because you got to remember here, we hit Billy on contender series. He's plus 185 mm-hmm. against who? Kamwella Kirk? Who the fuck yeah, was that, Yeah, something right? like that, yeah. But Billy put it on his ass as a plus 185. So it's like, oh, dude, sick. You hit nice dog money. Then he comes to the UFC and he's like – Massive favorite over Jacob Kilburn, but he put it on his ass. Now he's getting Spike Carlisle thinking, okay, you know, he's minus one. He's finally come down to that mid-range. People are on him, but not fully on him. But I think this guy's good, man. I do think this guy's good. Not only do I have him, obviously, straight money line 170, but I like the DK a lot, a lot more. I mean, $8,600. The upside is, yeah, if he puts it on Carlisle and gets a finish, why could he not score close to that 139? Even mm-hmm. if he doesn't score 139, if he was 100-plus points, You're laughing. that's all you want out of him. And, yeah, and the last thing i got to say with him is, like, how many guys, when you look at the numbers, this is actually odd, but how many guys score 77 significant strikes through like a round and a half? Like yeah, exactly. not only did he just go out there and smoke through Jacob Kilburn, but it's not even like, like you're saying, oh, he passes, he passes, he passes. Nine he passes. five submission attempts. Yeah, yeah. They, DK doesn't give you submission attempts, right? He got the nine passes. He tried to submit them five fucking times and landed 74 significant strikes to Jacob Kilburn's three. Mind you, that fight was eight minutes. It was a little more than eight minutes, and that's what he did. It threw eight minutes. Now, Spike Carlisle is going to pose more variables. The extra five pounds will help him, but I think Billy gets the job done. And if you are backing Billy, then you've got to think on DK, he comes through. So $8,600 for me, no-brainer for you. Decide what you want to do, but uh, yeah, yeah, he's the kind of guy I'm looking for. All right, we're going to play this one a little bit different. Roosevelt Roberts is 9,200. Mackenzie Dern is 9,300. Who are you paying up for and why? Roosevelt Roberts, Brock Weaver proved in that in his last fight against Kazula Vargas that he would probably would have got finished in the first round regardless of that knee hit. He just had to keep going. I consider that Roosevelt Roberts is a much better fighter than Kazula Vargas. I think he gets him in the first round or two. The problem with Mackenzie Dern is that she's going to rely strictly on the ground game. And like you saying, she's not a great wrestler. So she's going to have to kind of grind and make Cyphers make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Cypher won't make the mistake right away. So you have to cause that mistake. And that's going to take more time. Also, when the fight does hit the ground, she's going to be very slow. You know, she's going to just look to take her time, set up the position. That old saying, position before submission, mm-hmm. position before submission. Fuck that. I want Rose- Roosevelt Roberts punching right through this guy's head before the referees and has two seconds to think about it. Stop it. Get me the finish. I think Roosevelt, Roosevelt Roberts gets it done earlier. And, uh, and again, he could submit Brock Weaver, but I think he gets it done with the TKO. So I, I would say I'm willing, more willing to pay up for him. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. Um, we got Antonino versus Shikagian. I mean, I played Valentina against Shikagian, but 99.9% of the time, we avoid a Shikagian fight like the plague because everyone's keeping about... Shikagian was social distancing before social dis- distancing was the uh, the norm, Cody. Um, Shikagian fights from range. Let's just say that. Um, this is a fight I'll be avoiding on DraftKings entirely. What about you? Yeah, and I, not only you've actually always driven this point home, where it's like you don't want to roster Caitlin Shukagian. Maybe you think she's going to win, but she just doesn't land enough to make it worth your while at DK. You look through her DK roster record, and it's the same thing. You know, She's routinely putting up 60, maybe 70 points. These are all wins, by the way, 60 70 points. Well, you're never going to get her for $6,000. You're never going to get her for $7,000. She's always more than that, and you just never quite get up to that. 
The thing that people don't take into consideration, this is the point that I drive home, is that it's also likewise hard to score against her because she's just always on the move. Mm-hmm. She's always backing up. She's always just getting out of the way. You look at former opponents on her, like outside of Joanne Calderwood, nobody's really put up big numbers on her because she's just in and out, in and out, in and out. Nothing's really significant enough. So not only do I just not recommend rostering Chukagian, I'm not huge on rostering Shevchenko for the same reason of if you're just landing a couple left hooks and a couple jabs and a couple leg kicks here and there, it's going to be tough to get to 85 points. No takedowns, no takedowns, Mm -hmm. right? No, no knockout. Presumably we talked earlier about, you know, Anthony Shevchenko doesn't have that finishing ability. Kaylin Chukagian outside of losing to the better of the two Shevchenkos, not one to get KO'd. Chances are this is going to be a dull three round affair of just, you know, pure back and forth striking both sides land one got 80 one gets 60 you losing fighter in defeat gets 30 points winning fighter into victory gets 75 points and she said it's just not worth it it's just a low scoring affair i, I think i would just hit at a pass from both sides regard especially on shevchenko because she's 8500 but even the, the flip side to chikagian is 7700 yeah, but she maybe gets me 70 points yeah. like that, that's, that's her like best case scenario you're getting 70 that's points from her in a decision <laughs> like maybe you can play I a cash game if you think that shevchenko can't get the finish and at least you think that you're gonna get three rounds of chikagian i can see that argument but i mean i play i don't i don't play that way I, I play to yeah, to, to win or to win all the bucks, and I never win all the bucks, um, or not win all the bucks. And uh, should have, or neither one of those competitors are. If they end up in the optimal lineup, good on them. But I'm not expecting it. Uh, we got Daniel Rodriguez, obviously going to be the most owned guy on the slate, and I can't really poke too many holes in that. If I'm being completely honest, it's just an absolute misprice for obvious reasons that it was a late add to the card. Minus 350 favorite at 7,300. Do you just lock it in? Well, yeah, it's a little stupid because eh? like, they don't even have uh, odds out for green yet. Green so, doesn't even well, have a price, add- no. No, I know. They'll just they'll add him, and I assume they'll add him at like, like what seven thousand bucks. Yeah, so, bucks? yeah, something yeah, well, like that. I would think seven. Yeah, I would think seven because of last week when that happened, right? Two weeks, whatever the fuck last week. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing. It was like, oh, is everybody gonna be on uh, Giga Chikazi because he's seven thousand dollars? Like, yeah, yeah, I would assume so. This one at least has a much higher variable. Like Giga, what just went through the motion, got the decision, didn't have like a record shattering points you know you could have probably gotten away from from rostering him i don't see that being the case here in daniel rodriguez i think that gabriel green is a do or die fighter he goes for it right in doing that he's going to force daniel rodriguez's hand rodriguez will eventually get it tim means brought the fight right to rodriguez and had a lot of success unfortunately it's like rodriguez just showed he's durable enough he's got a good ground game he's got good striking he's got a good chin He's got some perseverance. He's got good cardio. He's got a lot of things you like. Him and Kevin Holland would have been interesting. He would have been the underdog to Kevin Holland. But given that he's got not very good wrestling but a good ground game, it would have been interesting. Like, could he get Kevin Holland to the ground? How's the striking going to go? Kevin Holland just fought, you know, a few days ago. Like, he looked really good. It's interesting. Gabriel Green's undersized. I think he's going to go out there, gun the blade, get the job done. To bring it back to that Giga Chikazi fight, like, one thing, even though Irvin Rivera never got knocked out, one thing is, like, that guy fought the entire fight like, hey, was never going to make the UFC. Might as well just have some fun. And you could tell he was having some fun. He was a lesser talented guy, and he was half the size. But he was just out there having some fun. I got a contract out of this. Gabriel Green is going to go out there. He's going to throw hands. He's going to try to get the job done. But beyond that, if, it, if it's a tough first round and it gets into the second and it gets into the third, 
Rodriguez decides is going to prevail. I think you go for it. I think that if he was, let's say, just for the sake of it, he was nine thousand dollars, which right? he should be based on I his think odds. That you would have the, yeah, you would have a strong debate here of being like, you know what? I like him more than I like Casey Kinney. I don't like him as much as I like Roosevelt Roberts. I could be talked into liking him more than I like Mackenzie Dirt. Mm-hmm. But he's right in there with those optimal picks. Yeah. You're considering him. He might he might be better than two. He might not be better than two. But he's right in that mix. Now that he's seventy three hundred, there's no there's no debate. Like if you're playing ten lineups, he's on nine of them just in case he flips on a banana peel and shatters his fucking ACL. Yeah. But outside of that, like he, he's for the price tag, like you just you got to roll it and you got to assume he's going to be very high ownership as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's basically a free square. Um, I mean, the ultimate contrarian play is to play the other side of it, but. I'm yeah. I won't. I won't be doing that. Uh, we have Jamal Hall Hill and Clinton Abreu Hill eighty four. I mean, I guess he has like hundred hundred significant strike upside. Probably not many knockdowns. Clinton Abreu, if he fights the smart fight here, he's going in looking for takedowns. But he fights at kind of a slower pace. Very very live. If he's not able to get those takedowns or he doesn't commit to those takedowns, to lose a decision based on just getting outvolumed. Um, considering Abreu, but I want to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, I would consider Abreu as well. However, it's just very low scoring. Like, I take it back to the Sam Alvey fight. He just, he got the one takedown, but it was a lot of cage control. Hold the guy against the cage, pitter-patter, not a ton coming out of it. So in that fight, he comes in at 8,600 because he's a big favorite over Sam Alvey, but he puts up 56 points. Just wasn't a huge scoring affair, so to speak. When I look at this one, I see a lot of the same thing. Like Jamal Hill, the best way to beat this guy to get him up against the cage, neutralize you know his mobility from the outside, get him up against the cage, grind him, get him to the ground. That's your path to victory. That's not necessarily the highest scoring thing because he's not going to put up eight takedowns against him. He might put up three or four takedowns, best case scenario, but then a lot of the other stuff will be making sure he doesn't pop back up, holding him to the ground, pitter-patter strikes. My personal play on this one is Clinton Abreu. He's a low score, especially in the type of fight he's going to need to fight to get this victory. It would have to be a low scoring affair. Hill, meanwhile, maybe he's got that big power, but Abreu's been cracked by good guys before. Hill doesn't get that finish. He stays on the outside and he just chips away at him. He could be a decent play. And $8,400 is right around that range of like, mm, is he going to score 100 significant strikes to get me that 80 points? Because mind you, that's all it's going to be against Dennis Stoicic. Or sorry, against Stoicic, um Darko Stoicic, Sorry, that's that's again. It, it just shows he's more of a boxer. He's more of a stay of the outside and box you up. He landed a hundred strikes in that fight, right? Imagine Brayu doesn't just stand on the outside. Imagine Brayu forces him up against the cage. It's harder to land those hundred significant strikes. But that's all he's going to get because he's I mean, not going to get Darko I took him down. Knockdowns out of it. He's not going to get takedowns. He's not going to get any of that. Darko got six takedowns. It's interesting. Six takedowns. Yeah, but Darko couldn't hold him down to save his life. That was no, his I know, but Dar- Darko's... Hill just got that guy. Darko's not exactly... Like, that's not... That's pretty spectacular for Darko to get six takedowns in a fight. I think that may say that you, know you may not need the best wrestling to be able to employ that game plan. Whether Clitson has that wrestling is a different story, though. But taking down Sam Alvey, yeah. I'd have to look at that takedown again. Uh, see what actually really happened and how it was scored. But just taking down Sam Alvey means a lot a lot to me. Um, all right, let's keep moving. We got uh, Elliott versus Roy Val. We kind of talked about this one earlier. Could be an absolute scramble fest, a fight that I'm very interested in. Like the quarantine of Spike Carlisle, 
and then this fight, I want the winner from that, and then you lock Daniel Rodriguez, so you kind of have half of your roster right there. That's kind of how my build, and then I really like Roberts. So kind of like a Roberts, Corintio, Elliott, Rodriguez. I have no idea what that leaves you with, but that's probably my core this week. Um, yeah, Elliott versus Royvel. Very, very high potential for like lots of scrambles and lots of crazy ground game, and that just adds up on DraftKings. Um, and we both seem to like Elliott. We don't really trust him, but I'm willing to take that extra risk on guys I don't exactly trust on DraftKings rather than laying wagers on them. So I'll be rostering a lot of Tim Elliott, probably a little bit of Roy Val. What about you? Yeah, I mean, you can save a lot of money this uh, week, definitely, because you've got cheap plays like a Gilbert Burns if you wanted him. Like, uh, obviously, Rodriguez shouldn't be a cheap play, but he is, so you have that available to you. And a Brandon Royval. Royval is going to be like, I don't want to call him a punt, but for $7,500, I think he's the kind of guy that could make or break a big GPP. Because Tim Elliott is going to probably have the higher ownership. He's got that history. He's got that pedigree. He scored 175 points in one fight before. Hollow, that was the, that, Smolka, right? He had like yeah. takedowns. And like Smolka scored like 80 in a loss. Like it was that fight was so absurd. It was a scramble fest. Um and then that record basically held firm until until uh Max Holloway rearranged uh, Ortega's head and landed like 300 significant strikes in a fight. Uh that basically that 175 points held up until that happened as like the highest had, that had ever been recorded on DraftKings. So like there are people out there who have won big money from Tim Elliott coming through for them on DraftKings. Yeah, yeah, and again, I think he's he'd be a wild card if he was cheap. Then you could rely on him and be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe Elliott goes out there and puts in a classic Elliott performance and puts it on. Maybe I score ten points. Fuck yeah, that'd be great. My thing is that like I'm just not convinced on this guy. I can't back him confidently. I can't back him for my dollar. And uh, honestly, Roy Val is a very opportunistic guy. So whereas like. We've seen a, a, a Ben Nguyen catch him off guard. You know, oh, geez, got him in that quick mm-hmm. rear choke. And we've seen him, his last fight, he gets completely bopped up standing through his own misjudgment. Like, what are you doing, man? But he does it. And then Nguyen fights like a slight mishap, but he does it. I think with Roy Val, Roy Val can crack standing. But like you were talking about, the guy's very confident in his ground game. So, you know what? Maybe he loses this fight, but it's going to be a fun fight either way. And what I'm saying is that if he wins this fight, he's going to put up, sure to guarantee he's going to put up a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. Tim Elliott forces your hand. Hard to beat Tim Elliott and score nothing, man. Let's face it's it. True. The guy brings it. You can't take him down and hold him down. He gets back up. You can't stand there and throw a couple punches. He's marching forward. He's going to cause you to score a lot of points. At $7,500, Roy Val wins this fight. He's going to score a lot. Yep. And I think that's where, if you're playing a GBP and he's low ownership, I think you go for him. I think you take a chance on him, at least on a few lineups. Playing multiple lineups. If you're going for one lineup, you play cash game, don't touch him. Playing GBP, fuck it, man. Have a chance on Brandon Roy Val. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Casey Kenny versus Luis Smolka. Uh, anybody you're targeting here for DraftKings purposes? Yeah, Casey Kinney's expensive, and I think that Casey Kinney could score up to that just because, you know, we go back to uh, Tim Elliott versus Luis Smolka. It's like one thing about Smolka is he's very easy to take down. Dude, dude scrambles a lot, right? He's in a lot of these crazy fights as well where he'll put up 100-plus points, even just like 80 points in defeat. He's like, oh, man, how many guys do that? But he's keep going for it. Whereas Casey Kinney, because he's got that wrestling base, because he's got that gra- that that uh, judo base, he's more than capable of taking you down. But he also, you know, he's get he gets a lot of advances. One thing I've noticed with Smoke of a lot of his fights, they look like jiu-jitsu matches, right? Like there's no point scoring. It's like submission only grappling. The guy will take him down, and he just almost seemingly lets the guy pass 
so he can create a scramble. Whereas like Kisikini, Kisikini loves to scramble. Smolka has allowed opponents who are good wrestlers and better scramblers than him to score a ton based on that. So when I look at Casey Kinney on the straight money line, he's a big favorite, 270, tad bit too much for me. But when I look at DraftKings, he's got high upside, especially if I've got so much money on the table, it comes between him and Dern. I'm leaning towards him because whereas Dern's just going to get that one position and she's smart enough to just stick in that position, if Casey Kinney gets Smolka down, Smolka's going to scramble and they're going to move and they're going to float and mm-hmm. that's going to score a lot of points. So I would be favored towards Casey Kinney here. Cool. And if you're a Smolka guy and you think he's going to win, again, he will score points, maybe go in that direction. Mm-hmm. But I got Kinney. And then the final fight here, Gutierrez versus Morales. Like, Gutierrez is coming off of a two-fight win streak right now. Scored 64 points against Ryan McDonald and then scored 64 points in his last fight. 64 points. Like, if you're scoring 64 points against Ryan McDonald, I'm sorry. 64 points is your ceiling. Um, that's, that's about all you could expect from him in this situation, I think, for the most uh, – unless there's – you know, an unexpected knockout. We were already talking about how we think that this fight goes to decision, how we think Chris Gutierrez wins the fight by decision. Vince Morales scored 59 points in his only win, his win over Eamon Zahabi, and he scored like 37 and 40 or so in his two losses. Like, these guys are not high scores. It's stand-up affair usually. Um, this is an easy fight just to not roster. You know what? When you're looking, especially tackling down a big GPP, you're looking for two things. I'm either going to get a finish in this fight, or I'm just going to get tons of scrambles, takedowns, mm-hmm. action-packed fight, scrap it up that way. That's what you're looking for. This has neither of those things. None of it. The likelihood of either guy getting a finish is low. The likelihood of either guy just getting a bunch of takedowns also very low. Vince Morales is a wrestler, and yet he's not even attempted one takedown through three UFC fights all three of which were against guys he presumably had a wrestling advantage over. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you, can't, you can't think he's going to get down to that. You think probably maybe he'll land 40s in his strikes versus a guy like Chris Gutierrez who's likely to land 60 significant strikes. Yeah. And now we've got a close enough decision that goes Gutierrez's way, but it's not going to be good for your DK. It'd be okay for your money line Gutierrez by decision. That'd be fine, but you don't want that on drafting. And finally, Cody... It's the moment probably like half of our viewers just skip right to it so they don't have to listen to me. Hit them with the PRP. All right, going to hit them with the PRP. Got to see how many dogs we got on this bitch. Okay, yeah, so right off the hop, we're going to go fucking Gilbert Burns. Fuck it, let's go. Uh, that's going to be a talk number one. We're going to go to Sakai. I don't love it, but he's a favorite technically. Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, we're going to take Roosevelt Roberts, Mackenzie Dern, Caitlin Jukagian. That's going to be dog number two. Billy Alday, 35, what's up? Clifton Abreu is going to be dog number three. Brandon Roy Val is going to be dog number four. Casey Kinney, big favorite. And Chris Gutierrez is even money. So we got four dogs out of 11, a couple of even money fights. And yeah. uh, money yeah, making opportunities. Yeah. You know what? You say quarantine card, but yeah, yeah. I look at this card. Oh, no, I like, think, uh, you know I, what? I mean, totally the, smoked out of proportion yet. Yeah, there's just not like the same. There's not the name value on Like, man, I'm, trust me, I am looking forward to this card. If this was, I mean, I look forward to most cards, and I enjoy watching all cards. This this card is the first one since we got onto quarantine that's like, all right, they've they're grasping at straws. Now, it's nothing like a main event between uh, Cynthia Calvillo and who who did they book in the main event there? There's like a main event that's just know, absurd. Listen, the fight announcements have been so fucking lasting. Yo, right? Cal- Calvillo. 
Calvillo is main eventing against somebody on a UFC card. Like, that's a thing that is happening. I can't believe you didn't hear this. Calvillo. Wow, is it main eventing for real or what? For real. They said, we'll be headlining. They used the word headlining. Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo is headlining a card uh, on June 13th. I mean, oh, woof. I can see why. I can see why this is happening when you start looking down this card. Woo. Ooh, that's ugly. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so a bunch of, a bu- I think this was supposed to be like the Russia card. It was supposed to be like a Russia card or something. There's a whole bunch of Russia peop- or Russians that were supposed to be on this, but are obviously off due to the coronavirus and not being able to travel. But yeah, it's, this is a big time woof. When you look, you should really look at this when we're done. Oh boy, this is yeah, this is this is this is putting uh, Smoka versus Holahan that card. This is this is putting that up. It's it's giving its run for its money for sure. Anyway, well, yeah, I, I know. I'm I wonder sh- what the angle is on that one. I don't. Yeah, I. What do you think? Yeah, Jessica, I must like know something. She's seen shit or something behind the closed doors because like they give her, they like giving that girl a lot of opportunity. Five round, yeah, main, yeah, five round, honest, five round. Yeah, don't say that. I know exactly what you're gonna say. Five round main event: <laughs> Cynthia <laughs> Calvillo. <laughs> Cynthia, yeah, don't. Yeah, I know you haven't been drinking in a couple hours now, but that's not. We did so good getting to this point without something that I have to bleep out. Um, <laughs> five round main event: Cody, Cynthia Calvillo, Jessica. I like woof. I'm sorry, Carl Roberson versus Marvin Vittori got moved to that card too. I mean, like that. That's more of a main event to me. I know those guys probably don't want to fight for five rounds, but absurd. We'll we'll complain about that card when we get to it. Anyway, any final thoughts before we let the people go here? No, I mean we were betting Cage Warriors a month ago, so like oh, yeah. they give us we'll fucking take it. Oh, yeah. Let's be honest here, who gives a shit? Uh yeah, yeah, that's about it. It looks like a pretty decent card all around. Should be a good Saturday. Yeah, hopefully they just keep doing their thing i i don't know man i haven't i haven't really been paying enough attention to they are going small cage and like when i do all my tape research there's like one or two fights i think be affected by it but i don't know that could be a i wouldn't want to say deal breaker but it i mean if you're brought, a lot of things that like, probably hurts. Realize they, they go big they go big they go big cage fucking almost everywhere they go so them dropping in the small cage i don't know maybe it affects a couple things here and i feel pretty confident with the plays though <laughs> I mean, small cage usually affects, like, heavyweights because you just can't get away. So, like, Andre Arlovsky in a small cage, bad, going to have a bad time because um, he's not able to use – it's a little bit less effective for him to, like, circle on the outside. Uh, a guy like uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he just covers a lot of territory. That would be – he probably hates the small cage himself. Um, Roosevelt Roberts, who's going to be looking probably for a takedown because he knows he's got a big advantage on the ground over Brock, uh, Brock Weaver. Could be a big advantage. As much as I don't want to bet Dern, I have to realize that small cage could be very helpful for, helpful for her. It's just like, you know, less less space for Hannah Cyphers to get away. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, the rest of them, I don't know if it's going to affect it all that much. Maybe Clidson versus Jamala Hall-Hill. Um, cause Hill likes to stay on the outside circle away. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the fights that I think would really be affected by the small cage, but we haven't really seen a small cage in a long time. So I remember it used to be such a consistent thing. It's like we, every single week, you're like small cage, big cage. They would move 
uh, two cages around the country type of thing, and you would never know. You'd always have to ask, like, there would people be asking, like, John Anik or whatever to confirm for them on Twitter. So, yeah, it's been a while since we've seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a few fights that definitely could be affected by it, but I guess we will find on Saturday night. Uh, that is it for Yeah, our- exactly. We'll watch weigh-ins, and then you'll have a better judgment from there, and you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But, yeah, it's all good. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saftik, I am Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.